Amen. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. Thank you to everyone that makes, just everyone that makes Sunday mornings possible. I am stoked about March the 7th, having kids first uh, back into gear. And, and at the same time, here in the worship center, specifically in the worship center, uh, we're going to be changing up our mask policy a bit. So we're going to treat it like a restaurant so that on March 7th, when we come back together, when you're in your seat area, when you're in your seat, we can take our masks off and worship without our masks. Uh, but if we move out from that, uh, man, I got revival breaking out of my right over here. Goodness. When we move out from our seats, we're just going to we'll wear a mask when we're heading out and about just being in close proximity to all of the peeps around us. Um, if, could you be in prayer? This is how it's weird. I pulled a muscle, um, and it's weird moving my right arm here, and I didn't pull it rock climbing, working out, running, um, working on projects. Ever pulled a muscle like when you wake up in the morning? You know when you stretch when you're waking up? God bless 45 years old. This is wonderful. Goodness gracious. I'm worshiping and enjoying worship, and I'm like, shazam, that hurts. Man, that's just... And I will say this. My brother-in-law challenged me to use the word shazam somewhere in my message, so John, that was for you. God bless you, buddy. Goodness gracious. Um, I was going to say, open up your Bibles to Mark uh, 14, which you could. Um, we've been reading this, this story of the, I'm going to say the Good Samaritan. That's not even true. Um, th this woman with the alabaster jar, and uh, we've been just kind of taking in this uh, wonderful mode of the blessing of God. So before, before we read you the story, and actually we're going to read you the story of this woman with the alabaster jar, giving you the details from all four Gospels. My daughter took every detail from all four Gospels and created one story so that we get every part of the story. But before we do that, um, we want to show one of our congregational videos. This is something we, I don't think we've ever truly done for an entire series, is just give testimonies from you, the congregation, about what it means to live a culture of blessing. So would you take a look at this? Let Anthony kind of speak for himself. Well, uh, some of the things that come to my mind is just helping others. And it could be physical help. It could be just being there. It could be getting your hands dirty. Uh, just being a blessing to others is being a light in their life. And that could be like with a positive attitude. It could be, you know, sharing the word of God. Uh, it could be just making someone's day better, brighter, easier. Because uh, I recognize my blessings and they are everywhere, every day, insurmountable, too many to count. Just from being healthy, to having a family that loves me, to having friends in my life. There, you know, If you just look around and pause, there are so many blessings. And some people either don't recognize them or don't think they have them their way. And I kind of just like to let them know, hey, it's a beautiful life. And uh, despite the challenges, there are blessings. And if I can help be part of that, that's what I try to do. I love that. Some, some of us, there's a word for someone today. Someone needs to pause and look around and see how much you've been blessed. So I want to read you the scripture. This is such a, it's such a powerful way to look at the entirety of scripture. That's why I love reading all four gospels because sometimes you can just get the deets that nobody else gives. Um, so let's start off. John chapter 12 is where we're going to start off with some details. And it says this, six days before Passover, the Passover celebration began. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, uh, the man who had, who had raised him from the dead. He had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was amongst them, those who 
uh, ate with him. Go to the next scripture. There we go. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. So we know that Jesus stayed with Lazarus. That's where he kind of uh, had his bed. But he went to the home of Simon, who previously had leprosy. This guy can't break away from his own sickness. While he was eating, uh, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to the home and sat down to eat when a certain immoral woman from that city uh, heard that he was eating there. How would you like that to be? Your, one guy known as a leper and the other one, she's just the immoral woman. Goodness gracious. Heard he was eating there and she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then Mary, who is the woman, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And she knelt uh, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste, they said. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, It could have been sold for a year's wages. Uh, The Greek uh, for 300 is denarii. A denarius was equivalent to a day's uh, full wage and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. Go to the next one. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Well, I criticized her for, such, for doing such a good thing to me. And when he turned to the woman, he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time for, from when I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. I love the different details that are laid out here. And Jesus ends it. This is what I love about Luke, because Luke adds in something that the others did. And Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this. I love the details that are here. Because what we get in this room, what we get in this opportunity, this story, is two fragrances. In fact, the title of today's message is this. One room, two fragrances. One room, Two fragrances. Now, when I think about the wrong fragrance, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the wrong fragrance. What comes to my mind is I was about 14 years old and I was hunting and my dad sent me in a, to a spot. We had this ATV track at a friend's cabin and I was li- lying on the sidewall of one of those tracks. And I, I'll be honest, I'm not the best hunter in the world. And my, my dad, if you're watching this, you're probably laughing right now because I do things like I take naps. You, I might say it's being, being still. Everyone else says taking naps. Uh, plus, I'm, I'm antsy. I don't sit in one spot for very long. And so I'm just lying on the side of that little hill, that, that little sidewall. And after a while, all of a sudden, this stench 
filled my nostrils. I mean, it is making me sick. And I'm like, what is that? And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking around. What did I roll in? What did I lay in? What, and so I'm checking my body. I'm checking the sidewall. There's nothing there. And so I'm just patting. I took my gloves off. I'm checking my pockets. I check this pocket, nothing. And I reach in my right-hand pocket, and all of a sudden the fear of God filled my life. Because my bottle of dough and heat opened up on the inside, and the entire bottle opened up. Now, how I discovered I would be good at track was the speed for which I got up from where I was at and I ran all the way back to the cabin because I'm just gonna tell you, I had all sorts of things in my head what was going to happen to me covered in dough and heat smell. One room, two fragrances. Because when we're in this room, and we love the old, the, the, the art that we're using as the background. In this room, you've got one fragrance of, of, of this woman that we know as Mary. Mary who has got this, apparently this past around her neighborhood, around, her, around the area that she is an immoral woman. She's got this past that people will not let her go from. But she also walks in with this stuff that's called nard, or, like, or, the, or the original word is spike nard. And spike nard was a perfume that was made in India, squeezed from grasses, and then it, the way it was processed, the distance that it had to travel, it was no wonder why it was so expensive. And this perfume cost a year's wages. She comes in and she anoints Jesus. She blesses the Lord. And the fragrance filled the room. But I would contend that we, you've got this beautiful fragrance of blessing that is flowing throughout this room. There is still one other fragrance that is there. And that fragrance is that of the hearts, the stench of the stinginess happening in the lives of those that were on looking. Matthew says, when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Now, I'll be honest. When I read Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 26, it sounds like the disciples are just a bunch of jerks. But then we find out that we get a clearer picture. What I love about John is John not only gives us the name of the woman, which is Mary, John gives us the name of the jerk. John gives us the name, and he says, Judas said, and I love how John writes, Judas, by the way, the guy that was about to betray Jesus, because not only is he a jerk now, he's a jerk in a little bit. Judas was the one that said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And this is the detail John gives. And he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to that which was put in it. I mean, you're like, well, why did Matthew say the disciples? Let me paint this picture. Have you ever gotten in trouble just by being associated with somebody? As a kid, do you remember, do you remember ever getting in trouble with your parents because one friend in your group of friends did something and all of a sudden all the friends are in trouble just because, well, so-and-so did it, you're all in trouble. And I'm like, why am I grounded? Because you were with your friend. I wasn't with him when he did it, doesn't matter. That's Matthew. Matthew's like, the, one disciple said it, so it's kind of like the disciples were talking about this. In other words, Judas brought up this idea, and I bet you other people are like, you know what, that's true. We could have done more with this. But Judas' motivation, the stench in the room, the motivation that said, this could have been sold for the poor. But it wasn't motivated by that because we learned that Judas, we learned that the treasurer of Jesus is actually skimming off the top so that when you gave into the offering toward whatever Jesus was doing... 
Judas was skimming off the top. And so when he saw what was poured out to Jesus, instead of celebrating what the blessing has been and what God is doing and what God has redeemed in somebody's life, all he could see was what he could have had. We have this amazing motivation. He looked at it instead of saying, look at what has been given to God. He looks and all he can see is, I lost what should have been mine. Two fragrances. So one room, two fragrances. We have the sweet aroma of blessing and we have the stench of stinginess. And I will say this, there's only one fragrance emanating from our life that will bless the Lord. God doesn't bless stinginess. God blesses generosity. God blesses those who look to bless others. And today, I wanna to talk about giving this morning. And if you're new to K-First, you'll know this. I don't preach on giving a whole lot. You can ask around, I, I feel free. Have some good gossip around the room with others. I don't preach on giving a lot. But when I do, I wanna make sure that we are always biblically based and we're biblically sound and we're gonna do it in such a way that honors the Lord and not humanity. And so we're gonna talk about giving this morning, but it's gonna be a little bit toward the end and you're gonna understand why. So let's just pray. Jesus, thank you for the day. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for the sunshine and the fact that we're gonna have higher temperatures this week. We celebrate that. Uh, but Lord, the most important thing is we just celebrate that we can wake up to new mercies that are new every single morning. That when the sun rises and when we wake up, that we can do exactly what Anthony has challenged us to do is we can count our blessings and we can just see how good that you are in our lives. So God, speak into our lives, help us today, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, there is an amazing article that I read, and it was about a book called Discover Your Mission Now, and the author's name is Dave Ferguson. And he recounts reading a doctoral thesis entitled Blessers versus Converters. Blessers versus Converters. The researcher showed that he had looked at two teams of short-term mission ships that visited Thailand with distinctly different missional strategies that one team was referred to as the blessers, and they went with the intention of simply blessing people. They saw their mission is to bless people, and whoever came their way, they would bless them in whatever practical ways they could. The converters, on the other hand, went with the sole intention of converting people and evangelizing everybody they encountered. And the research found the most perhaps unsurprising that the blessers had far more greater social impact. And when the short-term missionaries go with the intention of contributing to the social good of their contacts, their social impact is high. Okay, that's not a mind-blowing thing, but get this. Ferguson finds a second finding. He says, secondly, there is what is so surprising that the blessers had almost 50 times more conversions than the converters. The blessers were 50 times more successful at helping people find their way back to God. And he says this, when we live lives of blessings, we find ourselves not only being questioned by others, but it gives us the best opportunity for sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with others. That right there should challenge our lives to be lives of blessing. Because if all we're doing is we're befriending people or we're giving to people or we're kind of getting involved in someone's life for the sake of just making them a convert, then I'll just be honest, they will see the motivation and they will actually turn and run the other way. But when we approach people from the aspect of blessing, of blessing people just in order to be a blessing, transformation happens in their life. And it may not happen in the moment, but I'm here to tell you that we're called to be faithful and not necessarily successful. 
We're just called to be faithful and to share the love of Jesus, and we leave the result up to Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we don't ask people if they want to ask Christ in their life, but that our motivation is to simply walk in blessing. I love the quote that I've used so often from this pulpit. It's from Billy Graham. It says, it takes 40 people to lead someone to Jesus, 39 people who think they've done nothing, and one person who thinks they've done everything. 39 people who simply just wanted to bless wanted to bless. Listen, we can't have a group, we can't have a community that is walking around just looking for the next spiritual accomplishment so we can tell people who all we led to Jesus. And I'm not knocking leading people to Jesus, but what if our motivation is to simply look and to say, God, how can you use my life as a blessing? Because when we learn to bless people without strings attached, it is amazing the opportunities that people will give because they will begin to listen because they know your motivation is good. The message of Christ is to be a giver, to be a bluster. It means this. We bless those who ask of us. We bless those who can't pay us back. We bless those who don't deserve it. We bless with mercy those who wrong us. We bless with the kind of treatment you hope to receive from others. Ladies and gentlemen, we are a people that are called to bless. I'll start. Um, I think to be a person of blessing, I think of um, someone who um, understands what they have and is free to offer what they have whenever, to whomever, um, as God leads. And um, yeah, I think that's the short answer. I like what you said about as God leads. and. That's something we've learned is very key, is just really leaning into the leading of the Holy Spirit because being trying to be a blessing without it being led by the Holy Spirit is futile. And we've certainly experienced that futility before. And so just drawing close to Christ and what his role model is, is something that we've actually really tried to lean into over these years. I think one um, thing is You've got to have your awareness and sensitivity to those needs, right? Because if you if you turn a blind eye to them and you don't recognize the need, then you don't know how to apply the need. So I think one is to be aware. How much am I aware of the people that God has, you know, placed in my life? Then where where does that need, where does that marriage of that need look like of something I might be potentially able to provide to them? That's one. That's a that's a great point. Yeah, um, I know one thing I've had to really check myself because I can sometimes err in giving too much. I know it sounds funny, but you can do that. You can err in giving for the wrong motives, and so I have to check my motives. So if I'm going to give Holy Spirit led giving then it can't be about me. It can't be about me feeling good about giving necessarily. It's got to be um, really looking to Christ. You know, there he was with no selfish ambition, no vain conceit, but in humility, he gave blessing to all of us. And so we could be reconciled. And that is such a selfless thing. And honestly, I use that um, model uh, a lot and I train other people to use that model of you know where is it that Christ is leading and how can we be um, Christ-like in our giving of blessing whether it's finance whether it's time whether it's talent 
Yeah, I think that's important too, is to not define um, what it is to give in a box. We, we like to very much categorize our lives right into what, what are those resources, you know, time, energy, money. There, there's so many different ways we can give. And I think sometimes we put ourselves in a box and I have this or that or don't have this or that. And then we, we lose some untapped potential of where God might be able to stretch or develop me maybe in areas that I naturally give maybe, you know, financially, for example. Well, maybe I don't in some other areas. And depending on the situation, am I open to receiving, being stretched in those different areas? So I have a, a toolbox, if you will, in order to, to give according to the need, because the needs are always different. I love that. I love the words that the Grimmers just shared because what I find just, I find it funny. It's, I mean, I think it's just the work of the Holy Spirit is that when I did my notes and then I started watching the videos, I'm like, okay, which ones would really fit in with today? And I realized that these guys literally preach my next two points. Um, so we can make this much shorter. God bless you, Grimmers. They, this congregation loves you. Two keys to blessing that you actually heard talked about. First key is this, check your motives at the door. Two keys to blessing. You're like, How, what does this have to do with giving to God? I, we'll get there. I promise. Cross my heart. The first thing is to check your motives at the door. The blessing that others, the blessings that we give need to come from the right motives. I mean, what if the success in evangelism is simply blessing somebody or finding a way to bless them so that they could just have a tangible touch of the love of Jesus in their life in that moment? So the first key is to check your motives at the door. And the second is this, is that the recipient must feel blessed. Because if the person doesn't feel blessed, I don't care how good you feel. I just bless them. I just bless them with a smack across their face. I'm like, I don't think they feel so blessed. The recipient must feel blessed. Uh, I remember when we moved up to mid-Michigan and we were youth pastors, and on our first day, I preached in a, in a, man, a double-breasted suit. This, oh man, if, I am such a different person nowadays, goodness gracious. I was, uh, man, I got up with my T.D. Jakes hanky, man, it was just one heck of a start. And the pastor said this, for the next 48 hours, Pastor Dave and Ann are going to be home in the evenings. And what we want to do is, would you just go to the store, grab a, a just a bag of groceries and drop it off to them just to bless them with some groceries. They're brand new. You get to know them. Uh, parents, take your teenagers, introduce them. And so for the next 48 hours, people are just dropping off bags. And I will never forget a teenager. He was a senior in high school and he showed up to our door and he's like, here you go. I'm like, well, thank you. And he said, like, you want to come on in? Yeah, okay. And he just... I don't think he really wanted to be there. And so he walks in. I'm like, oh, thanks for all of these. He goes, well, my parents gave me a chore. And the chore was to clean out all of our cupboards of everything that's expired and the things that nobody wants. And I thought to myself, ah, oh, the youth pastor can have this stuff. Awesome. God bless you. And, you know, we talked with them and, and we connected with them. And we walked out. We looked through. We're like, yeah, nobody really wants this stuff whatsoever. Um, so we waited till we pulled away before we did anything else with it. But let me say this. When it comes to giving, we have to check our motives at the door. I wrote this down. If people feel manipulated or used by your blessings, those blessings can hardly be considered as such. If people feel manipulated or used by our blessings, 
It's hard for people to see them as blessings. We give because that's what Christ has done with us. He freely gave us, we freely give others. He freely is poured in, we freely pour out. That's why Philippians chapter two, verse three is written there. Do we have that up on, on the screen? Philippians chapter two, verses three through four, because I did not put it in my notes. It says, uh, no, with that we don't, so. I'll let you read it in your version here. We can come across, and I wrote this this way, we can come across as Christian colonizers if, if we only bless people if it's something in it for us. Is that not the spirit of Judas? I'm all good with her giving as long as I can get a cut. I can do this as long as I get recognized. I'll do this as long as you post on Facebook and tag me and make sure everybody sees it. I will do this as long as there's notoriety. I will do this as long as there's a hand clap. We have to watch our motives because the success of blessing others is in the faithfulness, not the noticeable desired outcome of our actions. And that helps us to understand that for us to be a blessing to people, we have to be a student of the people that we are blessing. Why do we have to be a student? Why do we have to notice the needs? Why do we have to walk around recognizing what needs are? Because it helps us to be a blessing without obligation or manipulation. And you're like, still, what does all of this have to do with giving to God? I would, I would say it's everything. Why? Because when it comes to giving to the Lord, number one, we have to check our motivation. We have to check our motivation. When it comes to how we give to the Lord, whether we're talking about our tithes and offering or our talents or our abilities or our time or whatever we're giving unto the Lord, our motivations matter. In fact, Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. He said this. He said, when you give, excuse me, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You each must decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Check your motives. I love what the message paraphrase says. It says, remember, a stingy planter gets stingy crops. Go back. Go back one more. Gets stingy crops. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up in your own mind what you will give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when a giver delights in the giving. There's a word for somebody there this morning that maybe you have had arm twisting from pastors in the past. And if that's the case, I'm sorry. Maybe if you have arm twisting from people in the past, if that's the case, I'm sorry. I'm not here to twist your arm. What I want to do is release your hands to be able to not just give to the Lord, but to give cheerfully. God, God wants our heart to be in the right space because if our heart is manipulation, then you don't know God. Well, I'm going to give because the guy on TV says, if I give $10, God would promise me $100. Block that channel. Well, if I do this, then I'm gonna to send to this level with God. Get some better theology. We don't, manip we don't give to manipulate God's hand. He is not this cosmic vending machine that if we just pump in the tithe, that he gives us triple the amount of money back. That's not God. If our heart is then obligation, honestly, if your heart is just, well, I'm obligated, I have to give, I have to serve, then honestly, you're gonna miss the blessings that come from it. If your giving is purely just obligatory, you miss the blessings. Well, mom and dad raised me the tithe, so I have to tithe. Man, you miss the absolute blessing of giving. In fact, let me, can, can I step out on a little bit of a plank here? That, 
Whoa. Never mind. <laughs> Moving on. There is my favorite moments ever right there. When I think about messages and tithing, the famous tithing scripture is Malachi. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. How many of you heard preachers get intense on that one? But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and your contributions? You are cursed with a curse and you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Whew. That, that'll kind of blow you back. That will absolutely just blow you away. Because I've heard for years that when you don't tithe, you are robbing God of money. And that because of that, God has heaped a curse upon you. Could I give you Show me a little grace. Could I give you perhaps another view of this? Maybe another way to approach this that might just give us a, maybe a little bit more rounded approach on this type of scripture and on tithing. It said this. Can I go back to that scripture? Before I go further, can we give a hand clap to graphic people that have to put up with me? Could we give them a huge hand clap? Goodness gracious. It's hard to keep up with my wildness here. It says this, will a man rob God, but you're robbing me. But you say, how can we rob you? How have I robbed you with tithes and offerings, our tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse. Listen, I wonder, I wonder if the robbing and the cursing is something that we have sorely under, misunderstood. Because I wonder if what, what we are robbing of God, because I'm just going to tell you, everything we have belongs to God, and we can't take something away from God. It's all his, and we're going to die without our money. You don't take it with you. You can put it in the casket with you, but before they close it, someone's going to take it out. They're not going to keep it there. But I wonder if the robbing of God is not we're robbing him of money, but I wonder if we're robbing God of blessing on our life. It's not that we're cheating. Like if I made $1,000, instead of putting my tithe, which is $100 into the offering, instead of, I'm not robbing God of $100. I wonder if I'm robbing God of the blessing on my life because he wants to pour it on my life. But when we walk in stinginess, what does 2 Corinthians say? We walk in stinginess, we reap stinginess which tells me the curse that they're talking about, that there's a curse upon you. What's the curse? I don't think it's a curse that God placed upon me. I think it's a curse that I placed upon me. It's stinginess. If I put on stinginess, how can I do nothing but reap stinginess? And so the best way to deal with stinginess is to be generous. And the best way to not rob God of wanting to bless me is for me to be the blessing with my life for which God has been already blessing me. I think it's a fresh look. Giving is a heart issue. That's why motivation matters. I'm gonna ask a question. Before you raise your hand, don't, say, don't raise your hand yet, I'll tell you when. Because I think there's gonna be at least one hand going up. How many of you have been blessed by the local church? And your life has been transformed by the local church. In other words, you gave your heart to Christ in a church, maybe in kids' church, maybe it was in Sunday school, maybe your youth group sent you to a retreat, and that's where you gave your heart to Christ. Maybe your kids, you went to kids' camp because your church took people to kids' camp. Maybe it's from a Sunday morning, you lift up your hand. Uh, how many of you here, now I'm ready for you, you are here and your life has been transformed because of the local church? Look around. You're here because of the local church. Keep your hands up. I'm going to make you do this for just about 10, 20 more seconds here. I need you to look around because this, when you give and when you bless, look at the blessings that have gone out. 
Look at the blessings that have been transformed. We've got parents, grandparents, sons, and daughters. Some of you are grandparents, and you can put your hands down. Some of you are grandparents, and you, your grandkids are now serving Jesus. Why? Because the local church touched your life, and the local church transformed your life, and it began to be this wonderful, this wonderful like domino effect that has gone down your family lineage. When we give to the local church, I'm not talking about when you give to give the pastor nicer cars and, 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 and bigger jets and everything else you've seen on TV. When you give, when you bless, what did we say last week? Blessing is, is strengthening the arm of an individual. But when you give and when you tithe, you are strengthening the arm of the local church. And as we look around, I would say at least half, if not three quarters of the people here, your life has been transformed by a local church. So I'm here to say that when you tithe, when you give your offerings, when you bless the church, you have a ripple effect that will go on for generations. That's why when Jesus says in Matthew 14, that what that happened in this lady, this blessing that she pours out, it will be told. So when we bless the church, that we are able to actually let the church continue to bless for generations upon generations upon generations. That's what happens when we tithe. I was talking to my best friend who pastors on the east side, and we were having this conversation about tithing. We're talking about board members. And he said he had a group of young adults, like I think it was like five, six, seven young adults that came to him. They're in their 20s. And he, they said, why have we never been considered for nomination for board? And he says, well, I'll, I'll tell you. The, your names come up, but the names actually get eliminated because you, you, you're not tithing. You don't give to the church at all. And they... And they're like, well, so if we don't give, we can't be considered. It says, well, the, the board members oversee the giving. They oversee the finances. And we want people that are going to have a say as well as be people that are part of it. And so they said, well, what do we do? How can we then become a board member? And they said, well, he goes, let me ask you four questions. And I wrote down those four questions. I think they're awesome. He says this, do you love the Lord? Well, yes. Do you love your church? Absolutely. Then he said this, what could your church do if everyone gave at the same level, not the same amount? What could the local, your church do if everyone gave at the same level that you do? And they went quiet. In fact, one of them said, I don't think we would be doing the outreach that we would be doing if everybody gave at my level. And he said this, what is the Holy Spirit challenging you to do? And I sat back and I thought that was such a powerful way for all of us just to look on the interior because, I mean, you can apply this not just to tithing. You can apply this to serving in the local church. You could talk about the way that you look at your workplace, you look at your neighborhood, and the way that you give and to bless others. I love these simple questions. Do you love the Lord? Yes. Do you love your church? I hope you all say yes. What could the church do if everyone gave at the same level? Did you know this? Barna has done a study that, that three to 4% of all churchgoers tithe. Not three, 30 to 40, three to 4%. And imagine what we could do if we together, Pastor Dave, are you a tither? You better believe that I'm a tither. I give to missions, I give my tithe. You better believe that. Why? Because I don't think I should ever expect you to do something that I am unwilling to do. But what would happen? If our church, that, that, what could our church do if everyone gave at the same level? But most importantly, today, what is the Holy Spirit telling you to do? I think being shown by example from my parents and my grandparents and my employer that 
you know, there's different ways that you can be generous. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your talents, with your financial resources. And, you know, I've had the ability to, to utilize all of those in some shape or form. And I just feel that, you know, it's important for us to listen to God's leading. Um, you know, he presents opportunities to us almost on a daily basis. And that's one thing that my husband and I have been praying about in the morning is, you know, God, use us to be a blessing. Show us someone that we can encourage. Show us someone that we can help today, whether it's, you know, someone that we know or someone that we don't know. But I'd say the, the definitely the people in my life have shaped me to be the person that I am today. You can start small, you know. Um, God loves that test of, you know, that first 10%. You know, it, years ago, we didn't know that that's what we were supposed to be doing. You know, it's, I think as, as you take that time to <clears throat> really get to know God and know his heart and, you know, what he wants for us and, you know, he wants to bless us and he gives us, you know, so many opportunities you don't have to start big, you know, you don't have to give everything away unless God's calling you to do that, then, you know, I hope you're obedient to listen to that. But that's, you know, I, that's how we started, you know, it's like someone told us, you know, challenge God, you know, you feel like you can't afford to give that 10%, just see what happens. And, you know, when you start, you start small, you just, it just becomes a part of your life. I love the words of Tammy. Start small. Start small. I grew up in a culture that just felt like if you couldn't tithe, like if you've heard tithing for the first time and you felt like you couldn't, it was an all or nothing because it's like, if I don't give a full 10%, then I'm robbing God and there's a curse on me, so I just won't give anything. I've met so many people that have approached it that way. But let me, let me tell you the other side of my friend's story is that a year later, half of those young men actually were considered for the board because he had just challenged him. Would you just step out and, he said, step out in faith. He says, maybe this year, instead of, you might not be able to jump at 10%, but what if you took a step of did one or 2% this year, next year took the challenge of increasing that in order to just bless the Lord. And it says in a year, two, three of them were, were already ready, full tithers, and the others had taken steps forward because they just wanted to be a blessing to their church. They wanted to be a blessing to their community because they knew that what they had, they had to offer to the Lord. Tithe is simply this, it is a tenth. It is a tenth of income that comes back to the local church. It's a principle that I believe is taught throughout the entirety of scriptures. And when we are taught, when we tithe, we are expressing in worship a tangible way that put God first in our lives. Why do we believe in tithing? I believe one of the top competitors to our devotion to Jesus, one of the top competitors is money. And giving allows us to demonstrate that Jesus is number one in our life. I wanna make a statement that God does not want you to give because you feel manipulated or that you feel guilty, but there is a conviction about your heart that says, I love the kingdom, I love my church, and I wanna raise my standard of giving because of, of how God has blessed me. That is all of the arm twisting you'll ever hear from, it, and I'm, from me, and I'm just gonna tell you, that's not even arm twisting. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask those questions. Do I love the Lord? Do I love my local church? And... 
what would this place look like if everyone rose to the same level, not the amount, but level of giving, and then what is the next step that the Holy Spirit is challenging you to do? If you're not here to manipulate, I'm not here to arm twist, but I'm here to throw down a challenge that we need you to walk in that type of blessing because when you bless, you strengthen the arm of the local church. So number one, what do we say? Check your motives. And number two, when it comes to blessing the Lord, we need to become students of the Lord. I love the word in James 4 that says, when you draw near to God, he draws near to you. If you want to know how to bless the Lord, you want to walk in the blessings of the Lord, draw near to God. Because when you get close to heart, his heart, you understand his heart. And when you understand his heart, you begin to understand yourself. And when you understand yourself and realize how, that, how much you have been blessed by the Lord, you realize how much you want to walk in blessing. Because when you get close to the Lord, you start caring about what he cares about. You want more patience in your life for your coworkers? Draw near to the Lord because when you start seeing your coworkers the way Jesus sees your coworkers, it will transform your life and you will walk in blessing. One room, two fragrances. One person walks in that sees Jesus and has a response that says, I just want to pour myself out to who he is. Another person in the room, all he could see is what he was owed and what was his. You see, you'll never build a life of blessing if your attitude toward everything is mine and I can do with it what I want. We are stewards of what God has given. We are not owners. Let me say that again. We are stewards of what we are given, not owners. Would you bow your heads with me? I've yacked on long enough. And what I want to do today is just speak blessings over everybody here. I want to speak absolute blessings over your finances, over your time, over every resource at your disposal. Because what I want to do is simply, I want to see you walk as a blessing. And every time I, I preach on tithing, I preach on giving, I, will, I say the same thing over and over. I've said it this over and over for 12 years now, 12 years. I've just said, if, if, if you're offended by tithing, if you're offended by giving and you want to leave the church, I'm okay with that. But whatever church you go to next, please go there, tithe and give because we have been blessed in order to be a blessing. And so Jesus, what I do is I speak over every single individual asking that you would help us to first and foremost to check our motives at the door, God, that, that we wouldn't be the type of givers in this world when it comes to people that are ever blessing people in order to get something from them. And we also make sure that that comes from the place that we give to you knowing that you have already richly blessed our life with salvation. So Lord, we check our motivation at the door. But Lord, I also ask that you would help us to become students of those people around us, that you would be help us to be people who notice needs. Because Lord, if we are students of those around us, we know how to aptly bless their life. And Lord, my prayer is this, that. You would help us to be a people that would be students of who you are. Students of your presence. Students of grace and mercy. Students of, of what you have done and what you are up to. Because Lord, you're on the move and you're up to something here in this city and we want to be a part of that. And I believe that the most tangible, easy way to be a part of that is for us to be people that give with our time, we give with our talents, and yes, 
by giving with our treasure. We check our motives. We want to become a student of who you are because, God, we want to be a people that just walk as a blessed, as a blessed fragrance wherever we go. We don't want to rob you of your blessing on our lives. You are looking to bless us. That's your default. And God, we don't want to walk with this stinginess all over us. Lord, freely you've given us, God. We want to be a people that freely give. So heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody look around. And it seems like maybe not the norm, but I don't ever want to let this opportunity to go my way. I know we preached a message on giving, but if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, and today you want to give him the greatest, the greatest thing you can ever give him. You want to give him your life. If that's you today and you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, could you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Dave, that's me. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. You can put that hand down. Anybody else? Anybody else? You want to give your life to Jesus today? Thank you over here. That's awesome. Anybody else? Two people. If you lift up your hand, I, I want to pray for you, and I want you to pray with me. I just simply want you to say these words, Jesus, come into my life. Because I give you everything that I am. I invite you in to transform me. Because I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And today I, I turn from the way that I had been living in order to follow you. And so I trust you with everything that I am and ask that you would help me to live a life of blessing. God, I thank you for that moment to God that we just had of these individuals giving their lives to you. Pour your presence upon them. Help us as a church community to come alongside them and to help them as they find and follow you. We love them, Lord, and we bless them in Jesus' name. And everyone said.